Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, and welcome to Reloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm Marie Stella, your host from Melbourne, Australia. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Marie, and today we're exploring trust and intrinsic component to building romantic relationships. We have Chris Pye, a relationship and trauma therapist, here with us today to share his professional opinion. Uh, hi, Chris. Lovely having you on the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Marie. Uh, first off, we'd like to get to know you. So please share with us the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear some of these words that I'm about to tell you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> book? Uh, um, I think of the last book I read, which is a book by Stan Grant, The Queen is Dead. Um, yeah, a really amazing and soulful and thought-provoking book that I would recommend to anybody. Movie. Um, I thought about this and, you know, when we do movies well, the Australian movies are amazing. And there's a movie from 1991 called Proof with Hugo Weaving, which is about a, a boy who is born blind and takes photographs of everything as proof of what he's experienced. But then he needs to trust people in his lives to interpret those photographs. And so it's an amazing and beautifully told story about trust and uh, and faith and relationship. So that would be my go-to today. That does sound amazing. Uh, podcast. Um, so uh, a good friend and colleague, um, Ella Shannon, has a podcast. I was lucky enough to be a guest. It's called The Evolution of Intimacy, and it's just a beautiful podcast about all things um, emotional and sexual intimacy in relationships. Famous role model. I'm going to come back to Stan Grant, um, a Wiradjuri man and Camilla Roy man who is just a really brave and courageous speaker to power. Um, yeah, a real inspiration to me. Course you've completed. Uh, this year I completed a certificate in traumatic studies with the uh, trauma Research Foundation in, in Boston, led by Bessel van der Kolk, who's one of the, the real leaders and luminaries in the world of, of trauma. Nice. Good on you. Um, now we're moving on to the interview section. Uh, so how would you define or describe a relationship? Yeah, look, I think very broadly, relationship is the the, the confluence of, of any natural forces um, coming together and and connecting and negotiating and finding place and way forward together. Um, and so that's that's how I define it broadly. Um, between humans, of course, it, it really does mean that we are invited to uh, embrace vulnerability and emotional courage and decide to what 
depths we allow ourselves to go emotionally in order to reap the benefits of connecting. We're social animals. Um, and so uh, we naturally want to connect and our nervous system wants us to connect because that's how we survive in clans, in tribes. But when we're hurt in relationship, uh, all kinds of stuff happens that I'm sure we'll get into a little bit today. Yeah, I agree. Um, in your opinion, does a relationship still hold the same meaning, structural importance as a decade ago? Has a decade ago, that's, that's interesting. Um, of course, uh, some big stuff has happened in the last decade and COVID is, is, is one. And so when big cultural events take place, they mediate the way that we connect and the way that we relate. Um, but I think our fundamental need, our evolutionary imperative is still to socially connect. So whether we're doing it online, like you and I are right now, um, or we're doing it face to face and, or we're including touch. Um, we're still, uh, our brain, our nervous system is finding a way to connect with other beings. So I so, think the fundaments remain the same. Yeah. Well, so it's changed quite a bit is what I'm hearing, but fundamentally it's still the same. Mm, I think so. Yeah. Uh, how would you define trust and how do you think it affects relationships? Yeah. And so from from birth, you know, of all the animals, we take the longest. I think the bonobo is the other animal which which takes almost as long as we do to mature to independence, right? So we we are fully dependent on our caregivers uh, for a long time. And that means that um, connecting with uh, and being appreciated by and loved by and desired by our caregivers is of vital importance. And so from birth, we're watching our, our mothers or our caregivers face. We're listening to the sounds. We're noticing her proximity from me or closeness to me. And all of these are signs that tell my nervous system how safe I am, how loved I am, how cared for I am. And so um, that 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 sets up our style of, of attaching how safe we are and how we attach to other humans. Um, and so that can get broken down when our initial attachments with our caregivers, with our attachment figures has been damaged by that person not being available, uh, not being responsive, not being proximate to us, going away, being inconsistent. Um, and so that's where our relationship with trust really starts to develop in those early days and months and years. Well, yeah. Um, do you think that once trust is broken, is it irreparable or is it salvageable? Um, how much work does it take? What What are some of the challenges that one would have to face when going through this? Yeah, I love that question because it used to be that when we when we think about attachment theory and our attachment styles, that you know between zero and and six is when our brain circuitry is developing and by year six or seven we're kind of locked in and the way that we attach and connect with people is kind of um at core is kind of locked in but but more recently um our understandings of neuroplasticity are telling us that actually we're constantly changing our brains um and we can do that through our through our behavior so i i would say um the the evidence is building and my optimism says that even if we've had the most insecure or chaotic 
attachment that's been set up for us in childhood, that it's possible for us to rewire our brains and to rebuild trust with the right conditions in place. With the right conditions in place and probably a lot of hard work. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Are there any specific practices or strategies that you'd recommend to people um, to implement into their lives um, so that they can repair this trust in relationships? Yeah, there's a number of things and I think different things work for, for different people. Um, so I, I practice mindfulness meditation fairly regularly and, and I also invite many of my clients as a counselor, as a therapist into that space as well. And that's about helping people to start to build their relationship with themselves, with their, with their bodies. Um, when we've been traumatized or we've experienced, uh, breaches of trust and emotional, um, uh, damage early in our lives, then we often dissociate from our, from our feelings and our bodies as well. I think that probably happened for me. It took me a long time in adult life to start to really notice what was going on in, in my body in order to be able to take care of myself physically. Um, and so mindfulness can help us to do that. Just being able to sit and notice our breath and allow our breath to connect us with different parts of our body and notice what's going on. Where is the tightness? Uh, where is discomfort? Um, and just notice those things can really help us to rebuild a relationship with ourselves. And when we connect with ourselves, we're more equipped to connect with other people. So that would be my first one. I know yeah. that I would have trouble doing that because I've tried that before. Um, cause yeah, a couple of therapists have recommended that, but every time I do it, it's just, it's so hard to get through the first few times because it's so yeah. uncomfortable. Um, yeah. and then once you get through it, it starts feeling a, like not as daunting, I think. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of practice. Um, yeah, it does. And it takes a lot of self-discipline, I feel like, because you have to, like your therapist can't tell you, sit with you there every single moment of the day and be like, you have to do this now. You kind of have to go home and do it in your own time and make sure you, you do the work. Um, yeah. yeah you do. And look, there are lots of great apps out there that that help and support people through guided meditation. So you don't have to do it on your own. Uh, yeah, I might <laughs> just look that up there you go. after this. Um, <laughs> now, when it comes to romantic relationships, uh, what do you think trust looks like? Uh, um, trust in essence means letting go control, right? And if we've been hurt in relationship, then one of our common responses is to try to be in control of everything in control of our environment, in control of our relationship. And that's where a lot of controlling and sometimes abusive behaviors can be born from, from damage and hurt that leads people to extreme behaviors in order to control their environment, control their relationship. And so uh, the, I would say, ultimate expression of trust is being able to let go control and be open and vulnerable to another human being knowing that there's a risk of being hurt. I would say the same to my children. Um, uh, my husband and I uh, raised two boys who come from a history of complex and developmental trauma. And just a couple of days ago, we were having 
another conversation with uh, my my twelve year old about this about this very thing that you know when we're hurt by relationship, um, our default and our survival brain tells us very intuitively, right? Don't trust relationship. And when there's an argument or when there's a rupture in relationship, you shut down, you pull away um, because that's how we survive. And that's really clever, but it's maladaptive because we're social animals. And ultimately, we're going to lead very lonely lives if we don't find a way back into trust, back into letting go control and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable in relationship. That's a really difficult endeavor. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the common challenges that couples might face when it comes to building or rebuilding trust, especially when trust is already being broken in that specific relationship? Yeah. And I think it would be detaching emotionally from one another. You know, we kind of metaphorically bring up the drawbridge and batten down the hatches and shutter the shutters. And, and uh, what we actually need to be doing is finding a way back to opening up that little window, uh, lowering the drawbridge a little bit, starting to tolerate um, the possibility of, of reconnecting, of allowing my partner to, to see me, to see my hurt, um, allowing myself to express my hurt to my partner. So it means um, almost counterintuitively reconnecting with vulnerability and taking the emotional courage to remain open and look, sometimes we have to retreat. You know, Brene Brown talks about the arena. Um, you know, that we we need to live life in the arena. We need to be brave and step into the arena. And there are times when we step into the arena and we just get bashed up. And we need to retreat to the stands and take a seat and lick our wounds and get our breath back. Um, but ultimately, we need to step back into the arena or we'll just spend our life just sitting on the sidelines. Um, yeah, in your experience, what are some common warning signs, if you will, that show a lack of trust in relationships? Maybe someone's acting controlling, like you've said before. Yeah, um, lots, right? So, so poor communication, low communication, um, as you said, the propensity to assert dominance or control, um, the resistance to collaboration, uh, to accepting the influence of another, um, and um, it's just not being emotionally open to, to one another. And as I say, when we've been hurt, we shut down. And so uh, sometimes our trust issues come from, uh, you know, recent contemporary traumas or emotional distress and sometimes they go way way back to things that have happened to us in in childhood and and most often a combination of of those things so so i'm always looking and and listening for signs of anxiety and and fear and choices to not connect to not remain open um, and my job partly as a therapist is to help partners to notice those things to create a safe and supportive enough space container, if you like, for those difficult conversations so that we can start to at least take the courage to acknowledge the vulnerabilities and the difficulties we're experiencing in that relationship. Yeah, I see some of my friends as well who, well, like one person saying that they are openly communicating, but they're actually really not. And it's really difficult then to work things out because 
maybe this person isn't honest with themselves in the first place and it makes it really difficult. Uh, so that's tough. <laughs> that's all yeah. I can say. It's a long and arduous journey. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just feel like having trust in a relationship, you have to have trust in yourself as well. Um, you know, um, I think that's all the questions we have. Uh, now we'll move on to the practice and habit de debrief. Um, and it's basically just questions about um, everyday application of whatever you've shared. Um, so what is a practice, an everyday practice that you do yourself or would like to recommend to people to improve their trust um, when in a committed romantic relationship? It could be like books workshops, therapy, or some other form of support? Mm. Uh, so as a, as a, a therapist, I'd of course always recommend therapy. Um, just sitting with a third party and, uh, and uh, creating a safe space to, to, to have someone help facilitate, uh, those difficult conversations. Uh, there's a lot of value and benefit that, that comes from that. Um, but there's lots of things that you can do on your own too. Uh, one of the exercises that I regularly facilitate with with couples is a structured emotional sharing activity. And so I'll invite our partners to find um, 10 minutes each day um, for emotional sharing. And we'll put a lot of structure around that. So I'll invite people to think about What's the location? What's the space in the home where that would happen or outside the home? Uh, what's the time of day that would work for them so that they're relaxed but not completely exhausted and ready to sleep? Um, finding that right space and time. Sitting together in two chairs or on the couch and facing one another. And if they feel comfortable making some contact, so some physical touch that feels safe and, and, and comforting for them. Um, and then I'll offer people a script and it'll depend on what's needed from them for them at that that moment. And so it might be something along the lines of um, one thing that um, uh, is a fear for me at the moment in this relationship. And then one thing which I'm hopeful about in this relationship. Um, I might ask them to share one thing that I appreciate about you. I'll ask them to share and keep quite concise, not go on too long. And then I'll invite them to stop talking and their partner to reflect what they've heard. What I heard you say is, it doesn't matter if they get it, you know, don't get it completely right. But the idea is that person A has the opportunity um, and the structural support to just share something on a very emotional level whilst sitting proximate to their partner. And the partner simply listens and hears their experience. And then the partner reflects that. So person A really gets that sense of, okay, they actually witnessed and they heard and they probably got it right. Or if not, they'll correct them. Right? And then we swap over. Um, and it's a really simple exercise. But for some people, it's the first time in sometimes months, maybe longer, that they've created and carved out the space to simply emotionally connect not about the content because we can get caught up in the content of what's going wrong and what our conflicts are about 
But this is about going deeper, going to a, another register and simply sharing our experience that and having that heard and witnessed. That does sound really helpful. And I'm not a therapist myself, but <laughs> I would recommend therapy as well. So I'm with you there. Um, are there any challenges that come with these practices you've shared? Uh, like the one I've just shared there? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's in itself, it's a challenge because it's inviting people to be emotionally intimate where that might not be a space that's that's been warmed in their relationship for a while and that may feel challenging. It's asking them to be vulnerable. And usually at a time of conflict, they've come to me usually because they're struggling in their relationship and often they're in conflict. So I'm asking them to let down their lay down their weapons, right? And sit metaphorically naked with one another and just be themselves and share themselves with one another. And that's a tough ask, right? If you've spent the last six months armored up and tooled up, ready to go into battle. Uh, so it's a big ask, just inviting people to lay down arms and just connect with one another. And so I would usually do that in the space, in the room with people to give them a sense of how you can do that and that can feel okay and that can feel safe if just for 10 minutes, you know? And if one person isn't willing to be emotionally vulnerable, what advice would you give then? Yeah, look, some individual counselling might be something I'll, I'll recommend. Um, I find that usually if both people have come and walked through the door and sat with with me um they've already taken a, a big step and shown a lot of courage um and usually that means they're ready to take those first steps um uh but if not and if someone's really shut down i'll i'll sometimes say look this is what we'll sometimes do is is invite you both to have an individual session and just see if there's anything that needs to be unlocked or explored um in order to support you to be fully present for one another in the couple work and that's that will sometimes be useful cool <laughs> um so now we will move on to questions from the audience um these are questions that we've gathered from the audience about the topic um okay. so there's about i think five questions here but i think some of them have been actually answered already okay um, they're not going to jump on the phone and, and harass me and and <laughs> No, <laughs> no, no, they aren't. They aren't. <laughs> uh, I doubt they will. Like maybe we'll, like, we'll, we won't share your phone number. So the most you'll get is probably an angry email. <laughs> there you go. That's right. <laughs> um, do you think a relationship can thrive without trust? Oh, that's interesting. No, not thrive. I, it would be my immediate response. Um, we can we can live and we can function and we can parent our children in relationships that that don't contain uh, deep trust, and many people do, um, and that's hard um, because when we have kids, that triggers all kinds of stuff for us too, and that's a tough road. Um, but thrive? No, I think we need to find a level of emotional vulnerability, um, and openness, and emotional courage, um, and a level of of trust in one another um, to really thrive in a relationship. Mm. Um, in a technologically connected world, um, issues of trust 
can arise in digital spaces like social media, online communication, um, and especially in long distance relationships. Do you have any advice for navigating trust in those areas? It just means that we have just multiple proliferations of opportunity for mistrust and distrust and um, people making the wrong choices, right? We've got so many ways that we can betray one another now technologically that we didn't necessarily have before. Um, and then, of course, distance, like you say, being in separate cities uh, means that um, if we have no real sense of personal accountability and responsibility, we can make all kinds of choices which um, on some level betray the trust of our, of our partner. Um, and so these things don't change the fundaments of if we want to experience a deep and meaningful connection, we've got to do the work of actually being present and available and accountable uh, to our partner. And that takes work. But when we do it, um, we both we both enjoy the riches of that. We both in, enjoy deep friendship, deep connection, the support of one another at times of, of hardship. Um, those things aren't necessarily there if we haven't done the work to really build mutual trust. Mm. And the role of forgiveness is often woven into trust as well. You have to forgive in order to trust. Um, so could you discuss the connection between those two things um is there a way that couples can cultivate forgiveness as part of trust building um you know what if someone thinks they forgive someone and then but they actually don't and it's a whole thing mm. what do you think about that um the word i use more often is acceptance and acceptance means understanding that we're all human beings we're flawed we stuff up uh, we stumble. Um, we just need to be authentic and present to those experiences. And we're always going to have ruptures in relationship. Um, it's through the ruptures that, you know, that the tear and repair, right, that, that we that we build our relationship muscles. And so we shouldn't be afraid of, of mistakes and stuff ups. Um, intentionally, engaging in acts which we know are likely to cause hurt to our relationship and to one another um, those things are harder to get get past so we need to decide whether we come to relationship with well with with goodwill and with intention for love and support and mutual respect and if we have those intentions and we see and we perceive and we understand that those are mutual intentions that we share, then we can accept when we stuff up as long as we're accountable for those stuff ups. So for me, it's less about forgiveness. It's more about us being able to meet in those places of stumble and stuff up and rupture and be authentic and real about what's happened and what we want to do to move beyond that. And that, that really builds trust. Cool. Uh, now we move on to the open mic. Um, so you have sounds like I'm about to do like a stand-up routine when you say open <laughs> mic. I haven't got any jokes, Marie. 
<laughs> you can you can share some jokes if you want. Uh, it's not necessary. Um, all you really have to do is info dump the like whatever you're you're passionate about, whatever you want people to know. Um, it yeah, it can be the most boring thing on earth. Yeah, we'll okay. Well, that listen. wouldn't make good listening, would it? No one's gonna tune in for that. <laughs> Does- <laughs> well what matters is that you're passionate about this Um, okay even if it's boring as long as i'm passionate right yeah as long as you're passionate i feel like it's not that boring when someone's passionate about something okay or maybe it's just that like i maybe i just find it entertaining to see people passionate maybe i'm just the only one when you're Um, when you're passionate about little china trinkets that go on the shelf that no one else really likes yeah yeah if someone's talking really passionate about those China yes. tickets, yeah, yeah, I yeah. will listen. I will have okay. a listen. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm I'm going to make sure that I'm enthusiastic and passionate. Um, <laughs> look, there's 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 a few things that I'm passionate about in in my life, and probably the number one is uh, my my parenting role. I think I started. I was a relationship counselor for years before moving into the area of trauma and. It was really our two boys which inspired me to to uh, to dive back into professional development and and shift. And that hasn't meant le- leaving relationship because, of course, a lot of the work that I'm doing is about attachment trauma, attachment injury. It's about the trauma that's caused through relationship in childhood and that we carry into our lives today. And so. I feel enormously grateful that I was able at middle age to become a parent and to be able to take a role in supporting young people who had um, experienced trauma, um, uh, c- contribute and give something, but just receive so much more in return in terms of my passion for supporting people through trauma, through attachment trauma. Um, my commitment to this idea that we spoke of earlier, which is that you can rewire the brain, you can repair, you can rebuild trust, and you can have fulfilling relationships and thrive, even if you've had the most, I'll say stuffed up, because I was going to say something else, childhood. Uh, you can get you can get past that and you can rebuild and have amazing relationships. So that's the thing that I'm probably most passionate about. Um, one of the other things I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about writing. I love to write and I love to write stories. Um, I love the written word. I love the spoken word. I love poetry. So words are something that I, I love. Um, but I also love getting into my body and I was speaking to you a bit uh, before we began about trail running. I, I discovered um, running when I was 44 Um lots of years ago now and my husband and I both had a bucket list idea and mine was um, I want to run a marathon one day so I trained and uh, and long story short I ran a marathon thinking that was going to be my one marathon tick done that uh, but it just got me hooked Marie and I just started running marathons and then more it was like um, go forest go for a few years and uh, and then it became ultra marathons and trail mountain marathons and and stuff like that and so i had a few years before my body started to say okay that's probably enough um i had a few years of just doing amazing um extreme running events and what it did for me 
is I'll, I'll, I'll pause in a moment. I'm, a, I'm aware that I'm just kind of going, because I'm, I'm passionate, you see. Um, <laughs> what it did for me is it got me in relationship with my body. And I'd grown up with the, the male role modeling of um, hide all your feelings, don't show emotions. Um, and all this silliness about your interior world and, and sensations and feelings. It's all, it's all just mumbo jumbo. So running was my entree into actually feeling my body and connecting with my body. And some people could do it in a really quiet, peaceful way through yoga. Me, I had to have my heart just slamming out of my body saying, wake up, uh, before I really, I really got it. And so people sometimes say, well, why do you, why do you run? It's so painful. It's so, it's so exhausting. And it's all those things. Uh, but it just, I feel so alive. I feel connected to myself. Um, and that's been a real gift to find in, in, in middle age and find that my work now even benefits from a holistic sense of myself through, uh, my somatic understanding of my experience, not just my emotional or cognitive understandings. That's amazing and sounds really rewarding, especially finding that when you're middle-aged, um, you know, I often, well, I have got this wrong, obviously. I often, I know it's wrong, but I often think like, or I can't see my life past 30. I used yeah. to think I can't see my life past 25, but I'm here now, so I there have to. <laughs> um, so, and I, so you're, you're yeah. past 25 now? Well, actually, not yet, but this year okay, I will be okay. 25. Um, and how's life? Yeah. Life is surprisingly really good. It's never been better. Um, yeah. I just, I just kind of never thought it would get better, but it did. But it took a lot yeah. of hard work. Um, yeah. And I think I do agree with you on finding your body. Um, not the same not in the same way um because i don't run uh that is painful yeah that is yet. in fact painful for me but i i did start walking a lot more recently clearly not enough as i <laughs> as i told you about my 30 minute walk here and how that got me all sweaty um but i am walking a lot more now and it is helping me feel a bit more comfortable and less lazy like just it makes me feel a bit more like like excited to get out there and be active a little bit. It's better than nothing. Uh, it's certainly better. Just just getting out and feeling your body moving. It doesn't have to be a lot each day, but it's so good for our brains and for our mental health. Um, so it's yeah, yeah, good. Um, okay. Yeah, not not going to lie. Some part of it has been involuntary. Like okay. when the trams break down and the public transport's not working, I do have to walk. So, uh, but, you know, silver lining, silver lining. Yeah, it sounds like divine intervention. Someone out there in the universe is is, is trying to help you get a bit more <laughs> active, perhaps, Marie. Yeah. Um, so if our listeners want to find you, where should they go? Um, so they can go to my website, which is www.asinglestep, one word, asinglestep.com.au. Um, and so, yeah, there's there are pages there about my work with individuals, um, also my work with, with teams. I work with organizations within the human services to help them build more 
inclusive and diverse and emotionally safe and trauma-informed teams. So that's another part of my my work. And so they can go there and 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 my stuff with relationships as well is there. So separate pages for separate areas of the work I do and heaps of resources if people want to sign up to my website as well. Lots of things they can download worksheets and infographics and things like that. So www.asinglestep.com.au is where you'll find me. Thank you, Chris, for joining us today. Um, so, yeah, if you do want to send an angry letter or email <laughs> to Chris, Bring go, it on. Yeah, go to his website at www.singlestep.com.au. Uh, I had a lovely chat with you and I learned so much. Uh, thank you for joining us once again and we'll see you next episode. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Marie. You've been listening to Veloscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Live Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at re.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Marie Stella. Thanks for tuning in.